Bible passage is traditionally one that I would preach for a Thanksgiving sermon. So this morning, we will just have to imagine that we can smell the turkey and the dressing baking in the oven. I love the story of the 10 lepers that we just heard. One reason that I love it is because there's room for everybody to kind of climb inside this story. Most of the stories in the gospel, virtually every single one, are about an individual person and Jesus. But this story stands by itself in being not about a single individual, but a group of people who are standing in the same place because they are standing in a common need. This little congregation of 10, maybe very different individuals, but they can stand together now because they all know that they need something. And they look at Jesus from a distance and they wave and they cry, Jesus, have mercy on us, help us. The name of their particular need was this awful, awful disease called leprosy. But the name of the need really isn't what matters. What matters is how many of us have such a need. How many of us belong in that circle who are calling for help? How many of us have ever needed a miracle? How many of you need a miracle today? If there is a sadness pressing against your heart today, you belong in that circle. If you've got some guilt that you can't get rid of, you belong. If your soul is tired or confused or lonely or scared, you're in the group. If you're in the dark right now for a hard decision you don't really know how to make, then come on in. It really doesn't even have to be you that's on your mind. It could be someone else, someone that you care about, who's in trouble, and you would do anything to help, but you just don't know how to help. And if this is you, you can take your place too in the circle of those who cry for mercy, of those who need God's touch. Now people in that circle don't have to feel close to Jesus. In fact, in the Bible story, they see him and he's really a long way off. But you can come in and you can raise your hand with the rest of us and call out your need to say, here, me, I'm here too. Do you see me? Do you care? Will you have mercy on me and on us, Jesus? I hope you don't mind who else is with you in that group, because real need can put you in a very different company than what you're used to. The thing about leprosy is when the doctor diagnoses you as a leper, you lose all of your old memberships. In New Testament times, a leper couldn't stay where he or she used to belong. They had to leave their place, their position, their family, all of their familiar relationships and live on the outside of pretty much everything. So lepers in the New Testament stand for all of those who have lost their old memberships and have found themselves in a new membership in the Fellowship of Pain, which is not a very exclusive company. You meet the most surprising companions that are in that little group of 10. Some of them were people who used to mistrust each other and judge each other and hate each other. 
And some in that circle were old enemies, Samaritans and Jews. But it's funny how all those divisions don't seem to matter anymore. They don't matter at all when you know that you really belong in that fellowship of suffering. So I hope you don't mind who you stand beside when you're asking for help. Because this circle includes traditionalists and progressives and liberals and bigots and rednecks and drug addicts and people who smell like a whole lot of money and people who smell like a whole lot of poverty. If you don't mind who you stand with, then your need is probably taught you well enough to raise your hand with the rest of us and say, me too, me too. So Jesus comes and he gives an answer to this group who cry from a distance, but to people like us, his answer is really a shock because it doesn't sound like what we would expect from Jesus. He doesn't say anything like, children, I know how much it hurts, or tell me more about your pain. He doesn't even take a step closer to them to touch them or to say, now you're healed, I've healed you. What he says is, go. Go. And that sounds like a stern commandment to me. Go. Well, it's obvious Jesus never did take that course in pastoral care. <laughs> Sometimes you need comfort, and what you get is a commandment. Does that ever happen to you? You come here to church, something in your world has just killed you, and you come here on Sunday just wounded and, and broken, just dragging yourself in here, limping to worship because you need some word of comfort and hope. And the sermon is just a call to give more of your money. Don't you hate it when that happens? What this story suggests is that sometimes the need for healing may be best answered into the hearing and the obeying of a new commandment. Go and show yourself to the priest, is what he said. Now, that's what a leper did after he was cured. You went to the priest who checked you over and said that you were all right. But these 10 are not cured. But Jesus commands them to act as though they were cured. He won't just hand them a healing, but he will give them something to do on faith. In other words, he will honor them with a partnership in their own healing. And that really is the meaning of all God's commandments. All of what we call the law is really God's gracious insistence that we take the steps that are our part in our getting well. So these ten decide to trust the grace of a commandment. Uncured, they act as if they were cured by being obedient. And what do you know? Somewhere down the road of doing what they had been commanded, they all discover they were wearing new skin. Now one reason that I love this story so much is because it is more often like the experience uh, I know of being changed than most of the gospel stories of healing that happen just instantly. Most of us don't get better all of a sudden. Real transformation almost always occurs somewhere down the road between a word we heard and the final destination. We'd like to be fixed right now. But the fixing almost always happens down the road of being faithful. 
In the book, Pilgrim's Progress, old Christian has got a burden on his back, and he hates this burden on his back, and he's trying to get rid of it. So this guy named Evangelist says, what you need to do is to go way up there to that wicked little gate. And so he goes way up there to that wicked little gate. He walks, he runs, he crawls, and he finally makes it. But the burden is still on his back. And he says, why? Why is it still on my back? And then his host tells him, you need to be content to bear it for now until you come to the place of deliverance where it will fall off your back all by itself. Further down the road, keep walking. The word of God isn't magical. We keep wishing that it were, but it's not. The word of God does not heal us. The word of God sends us on a path where healing overtakes us if we choose to go. Well, it happened to the 10. A healing on the way, and somewhere along the way of going where they were commanded, they look and they discover that their hands and feet and faces are, have put on new skin, perfect as a child. Don't you know that they're excited? Can't you see those high fives? Can't you hear those woohoos? And then they do what I think about any of us would do who were headed down the highway with a brand new life, they accelerate. Jesus told them to go, going made them better, so what are new feet for if not to sprint to the finish line of what they've been told to do? So to the priest and step on it. But one of them breaks rank, slows down, then turns completely around. He is suddenly in no hurry to see the priest. He's got something bigger than compliance on his mind. He's got new skin, a new life that needs and wants a new voice. He's got something to do here. So he runs the other way, praising God, says Luke, with a loud voice and then falling down at the feet of Jesus saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can bet it wasn't a tidy little thank you speech either but he didn't have a manuscript. I bet it was a stammering babble and tears that fell into the dust and made puddles. I think that praise is the jazz factor of faith. Praise is when our love improvises our own answer to the love that we have received. Here is a man who turns back for the jazz. He knows now that his freedom needs a voice, so he finds his voice and he finds it right there at the feet of Jesus, and he pours out this unnecessary response. Love, gladness, praise. And now Luke breaks in to add a piece of information that we haven't had until this moment. And he was a Samaritan. Oh. He has been cleansed from a stigma, but he is still wearing a stigma for a whole lot of people and for all his life, he is going to be an outcast to one group. But here it is, the outcast has come back to pour out this freedom of praise. Now why is that? Why do you think that the marginalized people of our society express more freedom in their praise and worship 
than those whose membership is unquestioned? Why is it that African American and Latino churches and churches of the poor seem to have more joy and freedom in their worship than we often find in our own? What do the shutout and the put down know about praise that some of us don't know? And that's what Jesus wants us to think about today. Because he says, hmm, weren't there 10 of you? Where are the nine? Well, that's perfectly obvious. The nine are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They're literalists. God loved them, and they're doing their duty. They have taken the road as commanded. They got better on the road, and they seem to think that staying on the road is what they should do. They kind of remind me of Forrest Gump with the football. They cross the goal, and they keep right on running, clear out of the stadium, where a celebration happens without them. Maybe part of what keeps these guys running is their eagerness to be certified. That's what the priest is going to give them. He's going to give them a certification cure so that all their membership privileges can be reinstated. Maybe a Samaritan knows not to trust that stuff so much. Maybe he knows that the establishment of all the important people can't really give him anything that matters. Or maybe he knows that everything that matters has already been given to him. So he knows what time it is. It's doxology time right now. It's time to let let go, turn loose, and let love sing an unnecessary song. It's time to find a way to say love and to say thanks. And this guy is living the lines of the poet Gerald Manley Hopkins, who said, deliver it early now, long before death, and give beauty back to God. And here's the thing. Till we find ourselves there, we will not find ourselves whole. You can run down the road of doing all the right things until the cows come home, and it will make you better, but you will not be a whole person. Jesus gave 10 healings that day, and everybody who obeyed his command got new skin. But only the one who came back and poured praise at his feet heard him say, your faith has made you whole. Jesus requires obedience. That's the necessary half. But he loves the unnecessary half, where we run back to God and improvise our own free expression of love and praise. It's in the rhythm of both that we become complete. Now, if Jesus was here today and he stood in this place and he looked around, what do you think he would say? Where are the nine? Maybe. Or looking at us, he might say, where's the one? Sometimes I think we look for all the world here in this place, like a dutiful procession of cleansed lepers just coming here, trying to do the right thing, half whole people, trying to do all the right stuff, and it just becomes performance-based grace. Now, we've come to a moment that's a little awkward for me now. You see, if I start telling you what you have to do to give praise back to God, it's going to sound like the language of a commandment, when what we need to face is our freedom to give what is not commanded. Now, if Jesus had told the ten, you guys come back and give me praise, 
They would have done it, but they wouldn't have been whole. So this morning, I can't tell you what to do, but I can point you to some possibilities. So if this week you find yourself marching through the duties of the day and the thought occurs to you that you are living a very, very fortunate life, why not pause and breathe a moment of prayer and thanks? If you're with somebody this week, somebody that you see a lot, but you had forgotten just how much they mean to you, why not do the unnecessary thing of saying it? Or if it's time to give your offering and it strikes you that what you had thought to give doesn't even come close to what something in you needs to give, then why not give your love a chance to be extravagant? Or if you're thinking about your life and all that's happened to you and all that you have been blessed throughout and received, you could this day offer your life in a very different way a whole new way to God. If in the presence of something beautiful makes you want to weep or to kneel or to give your life in a new way, why not let go and let your love run with you to that place in your soul? I hope you know how to pay attention to the commandments and the law and where that sends you. But more than that, I want you to know how to pay attention to your heart and listen to its wonderful urgings to give unnecessary answers of love and praise. In the language of the story, it's just coming back. Come back to the best memories you've ever had and give praise. Come back to the people who have given you the best gifts of love and give thanks. Come back to God, your source, your healer, and your strength and lay down your love at the feet of Jesus. Come back to life. George Herbert, 17th century minister, wrote and published a prayer, and I love these two lines in it. It says, God who has given us so much, give me one more thing, a grateful heart. That one more thing would make us have the gift, the miracle of wholeness. Today is the day you decide to do the unnecessary thing, to express yourself with new gifts of life and faith. I urge you, go back for it. Let us pray.